0: Trails of troubles, roads of battles, pies of victory, we shall walk. The road is dusty, the road is a rough. better road is a wing, the day is not far off. we shall walk. welcome to wehc 90.7 and this is your radio show the best ever she walks with sharon bowers and carly blaylock and we've been doing a leadership series and today we have a very special guest who will talk with us about that but i'm gonna get carly to introduce her so carly Yeah, so
1: today we have um, Dr. Tracy Lauder with us. We are so excited to have her. She is the chair of the Department of Mass Communications. Her research is primarily focused on the cultural impact of mass media messages, um, with specific insight into the portrayal of gender, race, sexual orientation, age, and socioeconomic class. So we are so happy to have her and I'm going to hand it over to her to talk a little bit more about herself before we dive in.
2: Yes, well thank you. It's an honor to be here and I love that you're doing this series. I think it's so important particularly I am teaching um, my women in media class this semester, which is uh, an elective in our mass communications program, but also uh, is part of our women and gender studies interdisciplinary minor and a gen ed offering for our core. And all of those courses, is very important for us to understand, as I say, the impact of media messages on individuals and society. So that's a, a big thing that we need to talk about. And one of the, things I tell my students in this class is we're so focused on elevating and providing equity for a variety of groups that has been long overlooked, but sometimes uh, lifting up and focusing again on inequities and oppression of women that women face is getting lost. And so I think it's a a time to be sure that we talk about that because it certainly is not equitable for women in this world right now.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's amazing. And it does seem like that, especially in media. You know, I don't have all the knowledge there, but just kind of being a little bit of a movie buff, you know, it seems like there there'll be this sort of more equitable casting maybe, but there was a, and I know the Bechdel test is not like the end all be all right. That's like the very basic. And um, for those of you that don't know, we, we need to describe things. The Bechdel test is a movie where a two women who are named characters talk to each other about something other than a man. And that's the, that is it. It just has to be like a two-line exchange and that's it. Um, And the amount of movies that don't pass the Bechtel test are just mind-blowing. That two named women characters do not talk to each other about something other than a man, right? And so... And, and even in the past year, um, in 2021, you know, people have looked at those movies and a mass amount of them do not pass the Bechdel test. So again, are we really moving forward in, in the way that women are, are even being represented at a very basic level?
2: Right. Well, one of the things my students this semester, I'm, I'm using readings and works um, in my class that um, have been written 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so part of me as a professor in media studies thinks, oh, are these current enough? I opened the class with the documentary called Misrepresentation, and it's been out over 10 years. And um, if you're listening, if you're a student or faculty staff member at the college, we currently have a license for that for a year, if you'd like to see it. But my students, I, I kind of apologize. I'm like, well, this is 10 years old and it is disheartening that my, my students will say, but all of this is still true, nothing's changed. And so to reflect on that kind of thing. And so some of the readings have become sort of seminal works um, that they're reading and some of the research and they will still comment that very little has changed when the time that that research was done or that they they work. So we talk about, um, a lot of things, you know, contemporary. For example, we, you know, looked at the representation of women in Super Bowl halftime shows, and we looked at two in particular with Jennifer uh, Lopez and Shakira from 2020, and then you know this weekend's uh, portrayal of uh, gender in the in the shows. And so, bringing that, I think, are ways that they can bring that and make it current to see that yes, there's a lot of things we're still grappling with.
0: I would imagine, I. That that's around the world, that it's not just, uh, you know, local, but I would imagine that the representation kind of mirrors itself throughout the world as far as for women uh, not being represented in media and especially not being represented in media in a positive light. I'm thinking about things like, you know, the old Ralph Lauren models, you know, where they were bone, like deathly ill is what they were, and, and they almost had to look like that in order to get represented. So I'm thinking, is that probably still true, Dr. Lauter, across the world or the globe, even about the representation of men versus women? I think one time I read it was, uh, it was uh, the statistics were, I, I can't remember, but it was almost like a two to one or, or it, was, it was really imbalanced.
2: I don't have a lot of data on international media coverage on my, my course and my research has focused a lot on the West. Um, U.S. And partly because we are the largest exporter of media content in the world, which also is challenging when we export our media content, everything from marketing, advertising, film, music, um, to other countries. And we send a message about what our society is like in general. But to your point, Sharon, what you're talking about is, you know, we, we, we've done a reading on symbolic annihilation. So who are we not seeing and we aren't seeing women in a lot of places and we aren't seeing women in particular roles and we extend that my my course you know we talk about that through intersectionality as well you know where do we not see women of color and where do we not see Uh, lesbian women, where do we, and and then how are they portrayed in that particular role. One of the things I'm really focused on right now is um, looking at women um, and aging and older women. And again, we don't see a lot of women um, in particularly in positive roles beyond the age of 50 and um, have seen little that. And we, I mean, I could talk more about that because those are some things we've been doing in class and sort of my research area, but Yes, in general, I do have some students, just to talk about your international piece, Sharon, I do have some students that are doing some research this semester on K-pop, and um, I have some students looking at representations of women from the uh, Muslim tradition, too, so I'm interested in hear about their stories and what they bring to the table.
1: Yeah, I think that ageism is just such an important part, especially when it comes to representation of women, when it comes to, um, I guess, our our very strict Western beauty standards, right? And it just kind of blows my mind that, um, you know, the way that older women are talked about really bothers me. Um, And I think in particular, like 50 Cent and Mary J. Blige were at the halftime show, right? Um, And, you know, they're both in their 50s, and people were talking about how great 50 Cent looked and how old Mary J. Blige looked, right? And then even there also during the Super Bowl was the new trailer for the Jurassic World movie. And of course, you know, you're going to get wrinkles when you age, you're going to get gray hair, you're going to get all of these things, but that doesn't necessarily equate to unattractiveness, right? Right.
2: No, it's very true. And there's a lot of research uh, out on that. In fact, I've, I've become mesmerized. There's a Journal of Women and Aging, which explores all sorts of factors and influences that women have to contend with. And we have talked about that in my class, and you're, and you're right. we as a society, we don't um, respect aging like some other cultures do mm-hmm. um, in other, in some other cultures around the ro- world, older people of the community, of the tribe are revered and respected for all they know and all they have done. And in the U.S., we don't do that. And um, youth is celebrated. And so I think just in general, as humans, we have to overcome that stigma of what it means to be older. But certainly I think we give that Credibility more to men, and so when men show signifiers of being older, such as gray hair or wrinkle, yeah, we see, we read a lot of you know oh so hot stories in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Carell is a recent example of someone who is quote aged well, right. um, and but women haven't had that latitude, and when they do something that runs counter. So um, it makes huge media uh, a splash. So for example, Andy McDowell, who is, uh, I think she's running, you know, in her fifties, she has uh, got this huge long mane of curly hair. She's been known for, since she was a very young actress and she recently let it go gray. And it was very distinctive. It was like, she made huge news about this and what that means. And I think that maybe there is beginning to be a push towards that. But if you look at, if you Google, Uh, you know, women hairstyles over 50, you're not going to find gray hair very rarely. And it's a signifier. And so what happens is, we as women even give each other honey and you hear things about, oh, she let herself go, you know, not going and coloring her hair. I'm particularly interested in that. Um, she let herself go. She's not taking care of herself. What this also does is it has, sets up, a, it sets up an, an equity about where women's resources go. So Steve Carell is not worried about spending two hours in a salon every three weeks to keep his gray covered up and spending the money, of course, he's got money, to keep it up. And men don't do that, and I let my hair go gray um, about two years ago, and one of the biggest factors for me was I was sitting in a chair, paying a lot of money, getting my hair colored and highlighted and all that, so I didn't look old, and I felt like that was a waste of my time and money that men don't don't worry about. And so I think that's part of the inequity of it too. In media representations, sometimes we do see women who are older in media, but we have to watch how they're portrayed and are they empowered like men are? And that's another, I mean, we could talk at length about that, but one of the biggest splashes has been these um, sitcom Grace and Frankie, which celebrates characters in their 70s um, having active lives and work and relationships But there's still, you have to watch for the subtleties in it, because if you look at those characters, and we just have to be aware, you know, Grace is still very caught up in being young and what she does around being young. And Lily Tomlin's character, she's a little bit silver, and she doesn't prescribe with that. But she's considered the kooky one. She's considered Mm -hmm. the one that's not the norm, right? And Grace is considered more the norm. And there's also research, a wonderful article out about how when women do gray, that they have to extend more effort and money in beauty work is what this one scholar calls it. Mm -hmm. And so you see that, well, if you let yourself go silver, then you have to adjust the way you dress or wear brighter lipstick or be more concerned about wrinkles or change your eyeglasses. And again, I don't think men worry about that or spend the money on that but women are faced with having to do the extra beauty work because I went gray.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked briefly in the past about all of the money and the work that it takes to maintain this impossible beauty standard. And it is compounded when you age, right? Because then you have to buy the expensive skincare that's supposed to help your wrinkles not show and things like that, right? And it's so pervasive because um, I just turned 30 and I remember being like 22, 23 and being told by media, but also by people in my life that like, this is the best you're ever going to look like this is your prime. And to tell people when they're 22, 23, 24 years old, that that's their quote unquote prime, when they have the rest of their lives to live, like that just absolutely blows my mind. And that's the messaging that, you know, we get from media as well. Even now people will say to other 30 year olds that I hang out with like, oh, you, your skin looks so good. You know, you look so young and it's like 30 is young. What are you talking about? But that's how pervasive it is.
0: And I think it's always been that way. I think the exclusion, you know, and the stereotypes are generational. I mean, this is not anything new that we're talking about. This is kind of the way that we've been socialized. And unfortunately, it's the way that we continue to be socialized. And And until that starts to change, I'm sure we're going to still keep seeing these kinds of things. And then I think the portrayal is, speaking of stereotypes, I think the portrayal is, you know, we 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 see all the things that happen to people of color, specifically Black women, how they are portrayed in the media, or our LGBTQ plus community, you know, all these things are built into the media. And when they don't fit the self-fulfilling prophecy, when it doesn't fit what people expect, then it's not very popular. And I think... Uh, Dr. Lauder, that's one of the things you were saying about that show. It's got a lot of stuff in it, (laughs) you know, and it probably, it has a lot of stuff that would be considered controversial to most, but it hinges on how the characters actually portray how close they stay to stereotypical portrayal.
2: Yeah. And just, you know, an example of that is I don't go see movies in the cinema often, but when the first Wonder Woman movie came out, I was like, oh, women empowerment. And you know, and again, there was all of this conversation about what she was going to wear. And long story short, again, you have to bring a critical eye to that. So what she, I, I could have watched the part about the Amazonian women on the island for the whole movie, but you know, she segues. But the bottom line is at the end of the story, we still have to give the man the hero opportunity. We can't have a movie just with the, the female being the hero. And there has to be the love interest, right? That has to dominate her heroic pieces. Um, I, I wanted to be sure I, I said this. One of the benefits of today's media is that while everything is very niche focused, it means that sometimes when there is really great uh, media content that isn't as stereotypical, it means not as many people are exposed to it. Uh, but... Um, I found recently, there's a Facebook group called Silver Sisters. And if you Google it, you're gonna find Silver Sisters International, which is not the one I'm talking about. That's very beauty work oriented. But Silver Sisters is a close group and you have to be accepted into it. And I recently joined it. I wish I had found it two years ago. And the rules are you only talk about hair and graying and support each other in that community. And I have scrolled through that when you see photo after photo after photo after photo of women on their grow out journey of women who, of all shapes sizes and colors and different walks of life and they all have some variation of non-colored hair or growing out hair it normalizes it right it normalizes it and so when I look at women in those stages anymore I've seen so much of that and it's a very empowering group and a very supportive group and sometimes there are tragic posts there I, I showed this to my class there was woman who was halfway through her grow out and um she was supposed to be videoed she's a high-powered corporate executive and was supposed to be in a video for her company and she was seeking advice she felt like she needed to go color her hair because she felt like she wouldn't be taken seriously and you know i think an empowerment group like that lets her know but no man would have (laughs) sought support for the color of his hair to do those kinds of things. And the women talking about what other women say to them about growing out their, their gray. It's a very empowering, illuminating group, I think, to watch that and see that. The other thing, I had my students, for the first time this semester, they read some research about women and aging in media content and um, watched a video about why we need more media representation about women authentically aging. and. Um, They responded around that. And it was sort of tragic, a lot tragic, that so many students at 20, 21, 22, already expressed concerns about aging, that that scared them. They were anxious about them, where they get that. They get that from advertising and movies. Sometimes they get that from other institutions like their mothers, their family, their sisters. And um, that was pretty sad And, and, and very anecdotally, I'm going to throw this out there because uh, I didn't count, but some of them did feel okay about aging and what it means to be a woman. And I just kind of picked up that the students that said that were more likely to be people who had expressed already a non-binary identity which leads me to think that they've already begun to shed what it means to have to be a woman in society. They may not, I mean, they may be on their journey with that. And so I find that fascinating, right? The more we box ourselves into those traditional roles, the more impact that's going to take.
1: I think that's incredibly uh, interesting. And I would love to see even, you know, more research done about that. Um, I have a friend who um, is a transgender woman, and she talks a lot about how now that she presents in the world as a woman, all of the things that are expected of her to do, right? And that she felt for a very long time that she had to lean into this hyper femininity. Um, And we've talked about that on previous podcast or previous uh, episodes of the show. Um, But I think that's really interesting. Um, And, uh, you know, going kind of back to what you were saying about like the way that women are portrayed in media as, you know, opposed to men. And I think this idea of why everyone is so anxious to age. Women are so anxious to age. Um, one of the things that really struck me was when the movie Spectre came out, the James Bond movie, Daniel Craig is 53 and he has a romantic scene with a very famous Italian supermodel who is 57. And everybody thought that she was too old. Why is she with James Bond, even though they're roughly the same age? And in the at the end of the movie, he ends up with an actress, um, who is 36. And so, this idea of like this woman who is his same age is too old for him and she looks older and, and she's this beautiful, gorgeous supermodel. It's like, that's not even good enough. You know, that's not good enough for James Bond. He has to be with the, the 36 year old, right? And just the same idea, like that message gets thrown to us all the time um, of, you know, this praising of youth. And I just think that's very interesting. And I'm wondering, is that tied to capitalism? Is that part of that? Or like, where did this praising of youth kind of come from? Because it, it is very different than in other other cultures.
2: And we do, we begin, I do a whole unit on some seminal work in advertising and Sut Jolly, who has done a lot of research on in media criticism. He, you know, he talks a lot about this, uh, you know, the magic, the unattainable magic and that advertising um, you know, we started out advertising, you know, in the industrial age was just a way to tell you about products. I mean, we used to just have one product and people bought it when they needed it. And then as we began producing more content, advertising was a way to tell you which refrigerator you wanted. But as capitalism, yes, increased, uh, then we're trying to get people to buy things they don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. And so advertising always preys on um if you if you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know there's the foundational things that we need: food, safety, water. But at the top is that self-actualization, and most advertising preys on things towards the top of the pyramid. And so, being young is one of the things society have told us we need to do to self-actualize. And so, I think capitalism does that too. In film, right? That that perpetuates that and buys. And of course, we have product placement in film. We sell mm-hmm. things in film. And, you know, we were talking about women in leadership. If you look at films, you know, going away from some of the, the rom-coms, which we, we see that. If you look at older women in film in the workplace, you will often see the stereotype of the single woman who can't keep a man, who's really doesn't have good relationship skills. She's all about her job. She's cranky with young people. And you see that stereotype, devil wears Prada. You see that character over and over. And so I don't think we have, and also, you know, asexual, right? We see that too. We don't have a lot of portrayals of just authentic women of all shapes and sizes and ages.
1: Yeah. We talked recently about, um, the expectations of women in leadership and how there seems to be, you get to be one or the other, right? You get to be kind of the woman that you're describing who is very competent and seen as very competent, but doesn't get to be warm or nurturing or you know uh, motherly and then you have the other side of the scale which is if you are warm and nurturing and you know you have these more mother-like qualities even with maybe the people that you work with then you're not seen as a competent leader you're not seen as someone who can make the tough decisions when you have to make the tough decisions right and how you basically get to be one or the other and how you know You have to, women feel that they have to kind of put themselves in those boxes in that corporate setting if they want to advance in any sort of way, that they have to be that cold calculating what we would think of maybe as traditional masculine qualities if they want to be taken seriously. Because if they show up in a leadership role and they are warm and nurturing and, you know, leaning into that side of those kind of more traditionally feminine energies, then they're not going to be seen as competent and they're going to get, you know, they're going to, people are going to try and take advantage of them. And it's just this, like, you can't win either way. Right.
2: And we talk about in my class too, that we have these markers, these, these physical attributes, all of us have that we can't change women dye their hair because they can, but we can't change our skin color, we can't change certain things. And so there's these stupid things that society have put on us that we, we ascribe something to. For example, tall women, you know, I think there's more accepting of tall women, but you know, just a shout out to the short, bald men out there. Research shows that short, bald men are not as respected as other men and they can't help that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we, we have to have, as a society, I think, pull away from what those signifiers mean.
0: And I think all of those things that we're talking about today, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just think about, you know, the portrayal of certain people in media, specifically, I'm a black woman. And so I think about, you know, what are my choices on, you know, from a media perspective, I get to choose uh, the mammy, I get to choose the Jezebel, I get to choose the Sapphire, you know, all of that stereotyping is how I'm seen. And, and the total, it's all packaged in buffoonery. So either whichever way you look at that stereotype, then there's that that other element of buffoonery. And so I think sometimes uh, I'm wondering about, Dr. Lauder, what can we do to try to change some of these if women are not the the leaders in uh, media? And it seems that they're not. What are some of the kinds of things that you could recommend that that we could do to see women in leadership and women in media portrayed differently?
2: Well, one of the things we talk about from a media literacy angle is I think you have to expose yourself to different kinds of content and you know my students will point out any Sharon, you were talking about women of color there's a great, I think a great little film called Napoli ever after and it's about an African American woman struggle with her hair and you know we've talked a lot about hair in my class and it tells that story but for me watching that movie i learn about people i learn about people that are, have different lived experience than i do the problem is a lot of people don't expose themselves to other kind of media content i think also we talk about as women we need to support other women and not be judgmental i think it's a good place to start and understanding other people's stories and then as I tell my students, you know, they're privileged. They've made it to college. So there's somewhere along the way, there's been education and support uh, to get them there. And it's up to us, I think, to have those conversations. They'll reflect on you know, calling people out in the cafeteria or on the athletic bus about when we say things. <coughs> Um, in that way. And then finally, we need to promote media literacy, K through 12. Other countries have it, we don't. My students will tell me consistently, why didn't I learn this before now? It shapes how we view the world and we need to teach young people how to be critical of the media content they consume.
1: I think that's incredible and you're exactly right. I mean, so much, I only have read just a little bit about, you know, media literacy and, and being critical of the things that I'm being shown. And it is, it is so eye-opening and it really does make you think like, God, I wish I had known this sooner. I would have spent so much less money, so much less time stressing about things, you know, things that I didn't need, but was told that I needed, right? And I think that's a very, a very important thing. And I'm really glad that our students are getting that for sure.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me be able to talk about this. I'm of course teaching a whole class on it this semester. So um, I... I encourage uh, students to sign up and we'll evaluate what we're consuming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I will definitely be telling my students about this course um, and, you know, hopefully they will they will sign up and really get a lot of good stuff out of it. Well, we just want to you know thank you again for for being with us today. This was an amazing conversation. And as we always say, every show 30 minutes is just not enough time. Um, but we hope to be able to have you back to maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of this stuff and talk a little bit more about, you know, women in media. So we will go ahead and and end our show here today. But we thank you all for listening and for being here with us. And we will see you next week. Bye.